Well, it's good to, good to be uh, together again, and we're just going to spend some time in, in God's Word. Um, as, we, as we said last week, uh, we began this two-part series looking at this whole uh, theme of uh, encouragement and the gift of encouragement in the life of the church. And if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, you'll uh, know that we, we began our time together in 2023 uh, by holding up um, our hopes and vision for the year ahead, our prayers and priorities for uh, Freedom Church and for us as individuals. We did this, I say, for individually, what, what is it that we should be hoping for and praying for and longing for for the year ahead? And what are some of the things that we, we want to set as our priorities as a church as we look to those things that God has called us to um, in the year to come? And, and we did that by looking at uh, Paul as he's writing to the Philippians. He writes, uh, as he comes to the end of his letter, Philippians 3, he talks about, I press on. And he's saying this, look, this is a, a man who, is, who has walked with Jesus for many years, a man who is who has done wonderful things in, in obedience to Jesus, and he's saying, there is more for me to take hold of. There is, there is more of this gospel for me to enjoy. There is more of the kingdom for me to see fulfilled. And he says, this is the mark of Christian maturity. This is the mark of somebody who has encountered Jesus, isn't that they think, I've arrived, right? That's, sometimes that can be the view of a Christian that the, that the world portrays, like, they, they're, they're on their, their uh, hill and they say, you know, looking down the rest of the world with scorn. No, a Christian is somebody who recognises there is treasure. I've got, I've got hold of treasure and there is more treasure for me to take hold of. And I just want to, to chase after God. I want to get to know him better. I want him to, to shape my life. And he says, the, and Paul says, those of you who are mature think this way. Those of you who have entered into maturity, who have received Jesus, will think this way. In fact, it's the mark that the Bible gives of a Christian is that they, they, they continually hunger to see more of God in their life. And that's something that we said we wanted to do as, as individuals, but also together as a church, as we pursue those things of God that, that he has given us to, to do in freedom. We, we, we're longing to see many more people uh, get to know Jesus. We're longing to see... Uh, uh, ourselves grow in maturity and we're longing to see the nations and the neighborhoods reached with the gospel those things that we believe that we've been called to as a church but you remember that we also said that we we made a big point of saying that this is not something that we can do on our own this is not something that a christian is called to do on their own neither as a, as a church, this is not a one-man ministry of somebody's going to come along and, and just make this church into something great. And neither as individuals are we called to try and chase after or pursue God on our own. It's something that we each should own for ourselves, but it's not something that we do on our own. You know, the Christian life is not a solitary one. Just a quick aside here. Some of you will know how I love my asides, but um, some people out of out of perhaps out of pride, uh, attempt to take on the Christian walk on their own. Um, perhaps they do it uh, because they have a low view of church or have been hurt by church in the past. But there's this idea of, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I, I don't think very highly of his church. I love Jesus, but not his people. Or perhaps they've begun, this person has begun to think of, of worship songs, of sermons, as sort of like a a commodity to be enjoyed you know it's like yeah I'll, I'll listen to them and i'll enjoy them and i'll get what i can from them but 
but rather than, rather than seeing the church as a, a family to belong to. And actually, neither of those things fit with what Jesus has to say of, of the church. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear that, again, a mark of, of belonging to him is belonging to his people. A mark of belonging to Jesus is love for his church and his people. And so to reject his church, to say, actually, I like you, Jesus, but I don't like uh, your people, is, is to show that really you've got nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus says, uh, John says he's writing uh, in his letter to the church, he says, hey, look, the mark of somebody who's from God is that they have love for his people. And if they don't love his people, you can tell for sure they are not from him. And so God's plan for his people is that he would put them together. He gives his people to his people. He puts his people in community. And it's in that setting that they grow. It's in that setting that they grow. I've, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I tell you, there, is, there are few things that fuel my faith and my love for God more than coming into a group of people who also love God and also want to know him and to experience his love and, and stir one another on in that. And so kind of with those things in mind uh, and seeing these things that God has given us you know, to go for, you know, the maturity, for growth, the things that we wanted to see, uh, the kingdom come in Hull uh, through Freedom Church, those things that we're called to go after and to belong to. Um, we wanted to use that as an opportunity to look at, well, how are we going to do those things together? And so we came to this theme of encouragement. Uh, if, you, if you missed the first week, you can go back and you can listen to that uh, online. Uh, but we started by saying that this, this idea of encouragement, it's, it's not a small thing. Right? It's not, sometimes we can think of encouragement as it's you know, a pat on the back, a there, there, chin up, everything will be okay. And sometimes that can be the picture of encouragement that we have. But we said, no, that's, that's not the picture of encouragement that the Bible gives us. Rather, it's, it's like the, the uh, we said, it's like the, the speech given in those kind of epics uh, films, you know, the, the, the king gets forward or the general comes forward and he gives his speech and suddenly people find courage that they didn't have. And it's that that turns the course of the battle, right? You know, Henry V or uh, Aragorn at the gates of Mordor, that, that sort of thing. There's that sort of thing happening when we encourage. But also the Bible says it's not just not a small thing. It says it is a supernatural thing. When Christ, Christian encouragement is not just a there, there, it, is, it comes with all the power of God to awaken life. We said that the word encourage literally just means to, to put courage in. To, 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 uh, there is an external courage out here, right, from God that is being put in you when a Christian comes and encourages you. Like, I don't have it in me, I have no power to do these things on my own. No, but then the power from, of God comes. And actually, the, the gift of encouragement, as it's referred to in Scripture, is there listed alongside healing, alongside prophecy. It's supernatural and God-empowered. And so we wanted to look at these things, look at this gift of encouragement, by holding up two different people in the Bible. So last week, we looked at um, this man, Jonathan, who was a friend of King David, who was with David in his highs and his lows, there celebrating with him as he was winning great battles and achieving great things, celebrating as though it was his own victory and willing to make space for David, uh, even though it would cost him himself. He was there with David in his highs and he went to him in his lows and took and, 
and received the same blows that David was receiving for the sake of encouraging David. As I say, at great cost to himself. And one of the great things that Jonathan did for David was he reminded David of the promises of God over his life. Reminded David of God's word and strengthened him in the Lord. That phrase, he strengthened him in the Lord. And that's what we've already seen this morning going on. As people have prayed out, as Donna reminded us of those scriptures, as Neil uh, turned our eyes against those things, that's, we have been strengthened in God. Reminded of the promises of God in scripture. And that's one of the things that we said we wanted to continue to, to do. And we talked about you know, how we're going to continue to do that together. But now this week, I want us to look uh, at, an, at another man who, who I think embodies this gift of encouragement. And it's this man from the New Testament, a man called Barnabas. So if you've got your Bible, uh, why don't you turn with me? We're going to be uh, in Acts chapter 11. And I'm going to be reading verses 19 to 26. So Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that is the the Greeks, also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So this is where the the leaders of the church are, the, the apostles. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came... And saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. Exhorted, just another word for encouraged, uh, with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul we'll know later as Paul, the apostle. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas is a man who, the more I read about, the more I I learn about, the more I see in scripture, the more I uh, find myself uh, admiring him and loving him and wanting to imitate him. And I hope today, as we kind of look at him, and look at this story, uh, you will see why that is. I just want to give you a kind of a bit of an outline. We've kind of we've jumped in partway through the story of Barnabas there in the passage that we just read. But just a kind of a quick outline of his story. Uh, we first introduced to Barnabas actually in, in Acts chapter 4. Um, Luke is giving an account of the, the church, the early church, that they first, as they first gathered after Jesus uh, uh, rose from the dead and, and poured out the Spirit and went up to, to heaven. Uh, the, the first uh, kind of accounts that we get of the, that early church, uh, Luke is the writer of Acts, he says this, that there was no one in need among them because there were those who had possessions and property sold their land and brought uh, the money 
to the apostles to be distributed to the poor. So that there's this sort of loving community. So no one likes, it's a wonderful picture of the, the church and something that should be going on in the life of the church, that we, we are there to, uh, to support one another and, and so that there should be no lack amongst us. And, and Luke is telling that story and then he gives the example of one man who, who was the example of this. One man, he says, Joseph, who was called by the name Barnabas. Joseph, his, his, his real name is Joseph, but he gets given the nickname Barnabas, which just means son of encouragement. And this is, that should be a bit of a clue as to why we're looking at him in this, in this series. But, but this guy, he's, he becomes so known in the church in Jerusalem as an encourager that he gets nicknamed, oh, here he is, Mr. Encouragement himself. Not sarcastically, but, but truthfully and honestly, here he is, the one who we know and can depend on to, to encourage and support. And, and this work of incredible generosity, that the first sign we see of Barnabas is he is incredibly generous and gets given this nickname. And he becomes the one who is known for, for going uh, to those who are out on the outskirts. He becomes the one who's known uh, to, to be, be the one who brings encouragement. In fact, when, when Paul, then Saul, first encounters Jesus, some of us will know that story. He's there on the road to Damascus. He's, he's a, a Pharisee wanting to, he's been persecuting Christians. This, in fact, this persecution that we read about in the passage that we just read, the persecution of Stephen. Stephen gets stoned and dies. Saul was there holding people's cloaks, encouraging people to kill Stephen, right? Paul has this incredible encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and becomes a Christian, becomes the very thing that he's been trying to destroy. Uh, Some of us have stories like that. We became Christians even though we were looking at them with scorn and Jesus met with us wonderfully. That's the story of the Christian life. We, We meet with Jesus and we're transformed. And this happens to, to Saul, Paul, and, and no one, rightly, people are quite nervous about going to meet him. Right? And here's the guy who, he, said, he comes back to Jerusalem, he's like, hey guys, I'm, I'm one of you now. And people are a little bit nervous to go see him, to welcome him into the meeting. You know, you can imagine that there are people who you think, I'm not sure, you know, we might be, we might be a bit nervous if they came into this room. Barnabas is the one who is willing to go and find him. Acts 9. It says this, when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted, this is Saul, Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was actually a disciple. But Barnabas, Barnabas, willing to take the risk, took him, heard his story and brought him to the apostles. There he is, Barnabas, standing in the gap, holding up Saul saying, and reminding him and telling them, of the story of how Paul met Jesus. And then, and then suddenly this releases Paul, Saul, to be this uh, minister that he becomes. He's the one who, Barnabas is the one who goes to him when no one else will dare. He, he's the one in this passage that we've just read who reports come. So the church has been scattered. Um, the churches, uh, the gospel is spread up into the north, you know, the, the weird northerners up there. And, and they begin to hear the gospel, these non-Jews hearing the gospel, responding and being followers of Jesus. And the, the apostles hear of this and they're thinking, who do we send? Who do we send? Like, who, who's going to go to these guys? And they're like, 
Barnabas. Of course it's going to be Barnabas. Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement himself. Who's the one who we should send to these guys? We don't really know what to do with them. We don't know how to engage with them, but, but I know someone who does. And it's Barnabas that they send. Barnabas goes up and he sees the church, this, this, this new foundling church, um, new Christians all around, and he sees the grace of God that was a work amongst them. He sees the grace of God and he rejoices in it. And, he, and the church grows. And then from there he goes and picks up uh, Paul. He goes, uh, Paul has kind of been, he's gone off, uh, he's in Tarsus, his hometown, and Barnabas is like, right, there's a growing church here, the gospel is moving here, I want to make use of uh, gifts that are around me, and I want to see leadership grow. So he, he goes and he picks up Paul, and he brings him with him to uh, Antioch, this great city, um, uh, and Together they see uh, more and more people saved and added to the church. Later in Acts 11 we see um, the word of God come into a prayer meeting in Antioch. And Barnabas who seems to be the leader of the church there. Seems to be the leader of that group of leaders that we see. um, uh, The word of God comes and it says set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that God has called them to. So here's uh, Barnabas, who has been sent by the the apostles uh, in Jerusalem to uh, Antioch. So he goes up to Antioch and he's there. You know, maybe he thinks this is just a part-time gig. And then from there, he gets the call onwards, even further. You're going even further from home. And he responds faithfully to it. And so Barnabas and Saul are sent off. They go to Cyprus which is where Barnabas is originally from. They go to Cyprus and they preach the gospel there. And then as they do, they have this uh, encounter with uh, this uh, government leader on the island and, uh, Paul, uh, and they preaching the gospel to him. And, they, and it's, again, they're referred to as Barnabas and Saul preaching the gospel. Suddenly there is this exchange that happens in the courtroom, this magician uh, who confronts the gospel and tries to hinder the gospel in his Saul, who snaps at him, he says, you son of a devil, how dare you make crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And and there's this exchange, and it's Saul who kind of comes to the front, and then from then onwards, it's no longer Barnabas and Saul, from then onwards, Barnabas happily pushes uh, Saul forward, and it becomes Paul and his companions. So Barnabas isn't even named, right? Barnabas allows for this, this gift that he has been instrumental in raising up to to overtake him and become the big name and Barnabas is happily steps back and encourages and pushes him forward and it's Barn and it's and it becomes Paul and his companions until Acts 15 when these guys come back to Jerusalem to give an account of the the mission that they've been on and it's and then it becomes Barnabas and Paul again Barnabas Again, stepping in the gap to, to protect this, uh, this leader that he's raised up. He steps in the gap and he encourages and he's the one who uh, puts himself, again, potentially in the firing line for the sake of this man and his ministry. Paul and Barnabas, they, uh, they fall out. They've been travelling together. They've, they've planted many churches together. They have this falling out. Both of them, men of God, 
Both of them called by God. Both of them love Jesus. Both of them love his church. As we've said, that has been the mark of loving Jesus. And yet they have this bumping of heads, this clash, this sharp falling out, Luke says. And, and it's over one young man, a guy called John Mark. Now, John Mark has been with them in their travels before and has flaked. Right, they go off, they're gonna, right, we're gonna go and preach the gospel, we're gonna go and take the gospel to the unreached. And John Mark is with them and then flakes out. It's like, I can't do this, and he, and he rushes home. Now, Paul and Barnabas, we see as we see them in scripture, are very different characters. Both of them, as I say, passionate about the word of God, passionate about his church, but their gifts and their inclinations are slightly different. Paul is a real pioneer. And so Paul is saying, I don't want that flake with me again. We've got places we need to go. We've got, there are places that need to hear the gospel. I don't want to take him. He's just going to be a hindrance to me. But Barnabas, he is the man who makes men, right? He is the, he is the one who raises leaders. His heart is to push people forwards. And so he's saying, look, Paul, what I did with you, I'm going to do with John Mark. When everybody else rejects him, I'm going to be the one who picks him up and pushes him forward and leads him into the ministry that God has called him to. He is patient with failure in a way that Paul isn't. So Barnabas says, right, okay, you go, you take Silas with you, you take this other guy with you, you go and do those things that you feel God is calling you to. But I'll, I'm taking John Mark because he's my investment. I'm not just investing in the churches and in, in my ministry, I'm investing in this young man because I want to see him go grow into all the things that God has called him to. And wonderfully, as we read through scripture, we see Barnabas succeeds in that. Later, uh, Paul, as he's writing, at the end of his life, to Timothy, his young protege, he says, bring John Mark to me, because he is of great value. Mark, John Mark having been brought through uh, into uh, the things of God by Barnabas. Wonderfully. It's this kind of... Uh, you know, Barnabas himself not doesn't write a word of scripture for all we know but the two guys that he raises up Paul and John Mark together write about one third of the New Testament this guy who's you know you could read scripture and think he's just a minor character and yet he's responsible for these two men and their growth and their uh, fulfillment of the things that God has called them to so I, I just want to look at this guy so I've told you the story you, you can probably pick out some of the things that I'm going to draw out, but I just want to quickly highlight just five things or four things, maybe. Maybe they're four, maybe they're five. Um, things that I just, I think I want to highlight and what I want to hold up as an example to us and say, look, let's be like Barnabas. And the first thing I want to highlight is this. Barnabas understands that your ministry, our ministry or our Christian walk is his responsibility. Right, he comes to uh, the church in Antioch. We see it on a church-wide scale. And what does he do? He encourages them in their faith. He encourages them in their walk with God. That, he considers that his great work. Right? He comes to the church. Here they are, new Christians. And he spots this glimmer of life in them. As they've received the gospel, and he says, continue in this. This that you've got, this that you've taken hold of, these things, continue to pursue them. Continue to live in them. Continue to go for them. He, he makes it his responsibility. 
He makes it his responsibility in his teaching of the church, but he also makes it his responsibility for individuals. Like he understands, you know, right, the New Testament is full of, of those wonderful commands, you know, love one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another. Barnabas knows that he is responsible. He understands that the, the call on the New Testament church that we are responsible for one another. As we started by saying, as we saw last week, he understands that. And so he is willing, he, he looks at Paul and he says, his growth in the Lord, his growth in his ministry, his growth in, in pursuing the things that God has called him to is my responsibility to see him, to see him succeed. I'm not, I'm not getting bogged down in, in my my work and the things that I'm doing and you can get on with your thing no he understands no part of my work is your work part of my work is to see you fulfilled I tell you that is one of the great joys of my life my ministry is to see people step into the things that God has called them to you know as, even in, as we planted Freedom Church we've seen um, people preaching for the first time uh, people stepping out in ministry in, in, in the, for the first time and, and doing things for the first time and I think wow that's such a joy for me but not only that but when I hear people kind of praying out you know for the first time or prophesying for the first time I think this is what God has called us to this is the great joy is, is to see people stepping into the things of God right? that's why we don't you know if you're a Christian leader in any context the people you're leading they're not your audience they are, they are people you're encouraging to, to sometimes surpass you Sometimes come past you. Some go further than you. Right? Barnabas understands that your ministry, your Christian walk, is his responsibility. Secondly, he has an eye for the grace. And he rejoices in it when he sees it. Very good. Right, he comes to this church. This is a new church full of new Christians. Now, you don't have to be around Christians for very long to know that hey we're messy people and we make mistakes and we screw up and we again and again and again and, and some people they get into that situation and you know and, and you might be like this I, sometimes I can be like this I say sometimes probably more often than I would like to admit I'm like this I come into a situation and I'm just like I can just see everything that's going wrong I can just, and I think right we need to address that we need to address that we need to address that Barnabas comes to this messy church that he's sent to and he's, and he's just, all of those wrong things, they don't, they don't come to his mind. He spots, it might have just been a glimmer of like a speck of gold dust amongst an ash heap. And he pushes the ash away and he finds this and he says, this, this is great. And he rejoices in it. No matter how small it is, he says, look at this thing. This is it. This is the thing that, that God is doing here in this church. Let's be like that, hey? Let's be people who, who look for those things. Barnabas he, he searches for it, he finds it, and he holds it up and he says, this is what God is doing, and he rejoices in it. He is like a, a grace magnet. Right? Barnabas, he's just, he's, he, like the other stuff, he's not, he's not searching for things to criticise, he's searching for things to rejoice in when he's looking at these believers. And you think, ah, this is why the guy sent him up to Antioch, right? Because he's that kind of guy. It's this, and actually we kind of see, like, he was, the, the kind of the, the root of that, if you like, the root of his ability to do that is, is, is what? It's because he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's full of faith. He's full of the Holy Spirit who, who himself is a, a, a means of grace and a gift of grace that, we, you know, the Holy Spirit, God himself comes and lives in us. And, you know, those who have tasted grace, 
love it and so long to taste it again and love to see it. And so here he is, having received the gospel, seeks it out in other people and pursues it in other people. And he's full of faith as well. His faith and his fullness of the Holy Spirit. But, but this, his eye for grace and his rejoicing in it enables him to take risks with people. Right? You see him do that with Paul. When no one else is willing to go to him. When everybody else is scared of this guy. Barnabas is the one who goes. Barnabas is the one who is willing to take a risk. Barnabas is the one who says, look, I know everybody else, everybody else has given up on you. Everybody else says, not, not you. Barnabas is the one who says, I believe God can do a great work in your life. I believe God is going to do something amazing in you. He does it with Paul. He does it again with Mark. Hey, look, you made a mistake. You flaked out. God can use you. I want that to be a mark of freedom church, by the way. I just want, this is another example. I want that to be a mark of freedom church where people get second chances again and again and again and again. How many second chances have you had now? I've lost count. Tell you, look, I want that to be the mark of freedom church. You might feel like I've tried and I thought I was getting somewhere and then I failed. I want Freedom Church to be able to say over you, no, God has called you to great things and we are going to be bring call that out to life in you call you cause you to walk into those things that god has called you to he takes risks barnabas literally risks his life in going seeing paul when no one else will he sticks his neck out right he puts his reputation on the line for paul he puts his reputation on the line for um for mark john mark as well right like if these guys failed you know they're like oh that Barnabas, he just hangs out with failures. Barnabas, he does not care because he loves the church and he loves his people, God's people. And he is keen to see each member of the body, as we've said, activated and moving in the things of God. He takes risks with people and he invests in them. He gives himself to them. He gives himself to them. This isn't a passing relationship. He, he does life with them. He mucks in with them. This isn't just like, come to, my, come to my lecture once a week. Come hear me talk once a week. No, this is, come with, let me enter your life. Come and enter mine. Let's do this together. He invests in them. And this enables him to be patient with failure. Right? He's patient with failure. When, when Paul gives up on John Mark, it's, it's Barnabas who goes, again, second chance, second chance, second chance. Let's be patient with each other's failures. Because I tell you, we're going to muck up again and again and again and again. Let's be like Barnabas who says, hey look, I'm going to see past your failure and I'm going to call out the things of God in your life. I'm going to see past those things, that, the mistakes that you've made and I'm going to call uh, and I'm going to cause people to spot in you the things that God is spotting in you, which is the things that he's called you to. He's patient with failure. And then finally, he is a man not only of great influence, of great gifting, of great calling, but he's a man of great humility. Right, here he is. He's got a good reputation in the church in Jerusalem. A good reputation, such a good reputation, that when this great opportunity comes to go north and to start this great work, to take hold of this great work and make something of it, he goes, you know, he's given this opportunity, he goes and he sees it, he encourages it, 
and there's growth. You know, Luke says he, there's, there's this establishment that more people are saved and added to this work, this church in Antioch. What does he do? Does he establish Barnabas ministries and, and sit there on his laurels and, and just enjoy the reputation that he has for himself? I'm a well-known preacher. I'm a well-known leader. People think greatly of me. No, he goes and he gets Saul. And he says, actually, part of my work here is going to be to raise up Paul. Part of my work here is going to be to make much of this guy. I need, he says, you can imagine this conversation in his heart. I need a guy who I know is, who has great zeal, who has great knowledge, who is a great teacher. And he goes and gets Paul from Tarsus. He runs and gets him. He says, come and do this work with me. Paul, who will then go on to eclipse him, will then go on to be the great minister of the New Testament. Barnabas is willing to get him and say, you have my platform. Have my platform. Have my prestige. It's yours. I'm passionate about the gospel. We said that as regions beyond, one of our great values is that we are there for another success. That means that when you succeed, I celebrate as though it were my success. I'm not there jealous going, well, why isn't that happening to me? You know, we hear, if we heard some great stories of like revival in London, I want us to rejoice in that and about what God is doing in Trinity Church, even if here we feel, oh, everything just feels like barren land. Everything feels like such hard work. And we don't want to be going, well, why is that not happening to us? Why is that not happening? No, we celebrate, we rejoice in one another. That's what Barnabas has got. He's got that, he's understood it. He knows what it means. He doesn't crave the limelight or recognition. He is humble and he is able to push other people forward. So that when Luke moves from talking about Barnabas and Saul to talking about Paul and his companions, I don't imagine Barnabas with his hands in his pockets muttering to himself like, oh, no, this is a man that Barnabas has loved and invested in and saying, ah, I'm seeing him succeed. You know, one day, and it may be something that uh, happens to you again and again, you will find yourself outstripped by other, other gifts, outstripped by other people who go further than you, do better than you, who achieve more than you. I pray that in those days you are able to punch the air and say, thank you, God. And I pray the same for me. I pray the same for me. I tell you, there, there may well be a day when someone comes to Freedom Church who is, who is able to take this work further than I can. I pray in those days that I will have the, the, the Barnabas-like spirit to say, this is yours, run with it. Take it, go, and celebrate it as well. So as I say, I want us to live this way. I want this, these to be things that we see in Freedom Church, that people come and, and, and join us, that they see, wow, these people are really for one another. They really encourage one another. They take ownership of each other's ministries. They, they see the good in each other when, when everybody else is looking at the bad stuff. They push each other forward. They, they bear with each other's mistakes. And they encourage each other, continually pointing towards the good things. I say Barnabas, his great work is the raising up of these two guys. It may be that your great work in life is, make, is, is an investment in another life. It might be that the, the best thing you ever do with your life doesn't reveal itself for many years because you, the great thing that you do with your life is invest in other people, in lots of other people around you. You say, look, go for it.
Go for it. Go for the things that God has called you to. Go for the things that God has called you to. Chase after him in the way that Paul calls us to in Philippians 3. Paul, as he's writing to the Thessalonians, he says he kind of reminds them of the gospel. He reminds them of their call. And then he finishes by saying this. And I just want to finish with saying this. He says, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. It's that therefore swings on the gospel. Right? Jesus, who has given himself to us, who has sought the good in us, who has put good into us himself, who has willing, willingly made himself nothing in order to raise us up. That passage that we looked at last week, Philippian passages, which says, you know, count others as more significant than yourselves. Have this mindset which is yours in Christ too. Though he was equal with God, didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. He's not there fighting. Jesus isn't fighting for his supremacy. He humbles himself to death, even death on a cross, naked, humiliated. He humbles himself to it. Why? To push other people forward, to live, to push other people into glory. And then Paul says, and therefore, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's, there is this, there's this call that we have to hold because of the gospel, because of what the gospel is. We must preach it in our love for one another, in our encouragement of one another. I tell you, if, you if, if, if we really believe the Bible, if we really believe the gospel, we will be living like this. And I tell you, if we can't live like this, then the question comes, you know, from this, therefore, that we've just read, if we've really understood it, if we've really believed it. Let's pray. And then